Welcome to RushCast. I'm Jay Mantis. Thank you for being here. We did it, you guys. We asked for $100 via Kickstarter, and we more than doubled the amount that I asked for. So now we are rolling, and now we are funded. We, like, raised money. It's a weird feeling. This was a thing that I have been doing by myself for a while, and now I have a producer in the room with me, a recording engineer. And we have a New York City studio. I now live in New York City, and uh, we record in the Knickerbocker Studios. So Knickerbocker is a a podcast that I co-host that is comedy podcast-ish. It's just a bunch of people talking. And uh, if you want to hear more of my voice for some reason, you could go there, I guess. Uh, That's another free podcast that you might enjoy. But thank you so much for donating. If you donated enough to get a reward, I don't remember the exact numbers. I think it was something like $10 to $25. There were different rewards. I will be in touch with you soon. I'm currently working on getting Wi-Fi in my apartment. So until then, it's going to be tough for me to kind of organize all the messages I got from Kickstarter. But um, some of you who donated will be on the show Um as a new world guest for small segments others paid a little bit more will be on the entire show and some paid 20 i think 25 you got to be on the entire show as well as a knickerbocker episode which is super laid back and super uh fun to be involved with sometimes i've been throwing some knickerbocker segments on the ends of uh some of these rushcast episodes just as little uh bonus things to see if you uh, if you want to stick around and check those out. So what you're going to get now that we're properly funded, you are going to end up with a Rushcast episode released every Sunday, recorded and released every Sunday. This is the best part. I get to release the same day I record. And we're going to try to do one-hour episodes. Sometimes they'll be longer. Sometimes they'll be shorter. But before, I was aiming for like half-hour episodes, and you guys told me you wanted longer ones, so I had to raise a little bit of money to get the bandwidth to do that, and now we have it. So thank you again. By the way, next week, I'm going to be talking to the guys that run Fantunes, or I should say the guy. So you must have heard about Fantunes if you're on Twitter and you follow Rush Things. Fantunes is a book... That has a bunch of cartoons of Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart doing things uh, you wouldn't normally see them doing in pictures. They're fantastic. And we'll talk to Fantoons and we'll see how they came up with those kinds of things. Sometimes you need to tell you need somebody else to tell you that a song is great. Um, when I was in middle school, or maybe like ninth grade. I had discovered Linkin Park, and I think Linkin Park is kind of the perfect thing for a ninth grader. You know, that's kind of what they appeal to. So I heard the first album, and I was late to the party. It had been a couple of years, and people were already, you know, sick of it. They had they had beat it to death, and they weren't listening. Plus, plus the pop music world has a very small attention span. You hear something on the radio, and they they beat it to death, and then you're sick of it, and you say, "Oh, the people are going Lincoln Park that they're old." When in reality, it was a year and a half ago when their first album came out. So I listened to the first album. I loved it. It was called Hybrid Theory. The second album, I also owned because it had been out already. And it wasn't hitting for me. I had like maybe one song that I kind of enjoyed. The rest it wasn't working. So there was this this short angry man that my producer will recognize as George, um, a very hairy angry <laughs> short man in my grade. And in science class, he said to me, "I say, I said, oh, you like Lincoln Park too?" He goes, "Yeah." And I go. I'm listening to Meteora, their second album right now, and I just, I don't get it. Like, I don't, it's not nearly as good as the first album. And the short, hairy, angry man got very angry. Um, he would, like, violently, what? You're, you're crazy. Like, how do you? Uh, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is he, he told me I was nuts because 
he said, go listen to this one track. It was one of the tracks in the middle of the album. Go listen to that track. It's beautiful. I had heard that track already, and I just said, eh. But since an angry man yelled at me and pointed in my face and said, that song was beautiful, I went home and I listened to it and said, holy crap, this song is beautiful. Legitimately, it wasn't even because I was, I wasn't scared of the angry man. It was just, oh, that person really connected with that song. And now I connect with it. It, it. There's something there. I don't know if you share this experience with me, but something clicks when you realize somebody else likes it. I mean, I hope maybe I've done that for you guys with Tyshawn or something, where I'm like, no, this song is really cool. And you guys are like, oh, yeah, Jamie Anthony says it's cool. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should listen to that again. Chad, Chad Whitco, a regular on Rushcast, one of my, my longtime Rush buddies, texted me the other day and he goes hold your fire is hands down alex's best guitar work it was a very uh commanding statement he said it is without a doubt the best and he said i don't know why i ever discounted that album i don't know why it was so low for me for so long but Hold Your Fire is an album that just kind of grows on everybody like a vine, whether you want it to or not. The songwriting is amazing. The sound quality and the recording quality of the album is fantastic. And all three guys are going nuts on their respective instruments. Alex's stuff is fantastic. And I think, like Meteora with Linkin Park, sometimes you just need somebody to say, no, man, this is great. And then you really appreciate it. So what that huge story is meant to do for you is to encourage you, if you're somebody who's thinking right now, Hold Your Fire just isn't holding up to the rest of the Rush catalog, then you need to go and listen again and really just isolate the guitar and think about what he's doing musically around all those synthesizers. And Hold Your Fire has this reputation of being a synthesizer-heavy album. But you listen to parts of Turn the Page, and there, like, there, there are some tunes on there where it's mostly just guitar. So don't kid yourself. Go listen to Hold Your Fire and really close your eyes and try to understand what's happening on that album. I tell this to peop- new Rush fans all the time. When they when I kind of introduce them to newer material, for people who say liked everything up until Signals or Moving Pictures or something, I say Rush was th- like three, four, five different bands. You can't compare a song from Fly By Night to a song from Test for Echo. I could play. I could play Seven Cities of Gold for someone who's never heard Rush. Seven Cities of Gold, and then I could play Jacob's Ladder. And they might not even realize they're the same band. Let's go even farther apart. I could play The Garden and then play Anthem. There, there's, and, and there were three bands in the middle. They were, they were three other bands, even aside from those two examples. Superconductor and Tom Sawyer, you know? So, go listen to Hold Your Fire is the bottom line. Last episode, I asked you about songs that went from hate to great. What songs did you skip forever? You couldn't get into them. And then you got sick of the rest of the album, and you came back to that song and said, oh, wow, why have I been skipping that for so long? David Sprick says the Camera Eye and Red Sector A, which both were... Not so much Red Sector A. That wasn't very surprising to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Camera Eye is um, surprising. Cam- the Camera Eye actually is a song that my producer got into re- <laughs> like really, really, really into when, I, when he refused to like Rush. And I just played the Camera Eye and he stopped his conversation, turned to me and said, what is that? I said, that's Rush. She's like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Others, uh, James Millsap had a big list. He said, good news first, 
witch hunt, high water, carve away the stone, how it is, secret touch, and faithless. Now, out of that list, am I the only one who thinks that there's one that kind of stands out? Good news first, witch hunt, high water, carve away the stone, how it is, faithless. These are all kind of um, uh, songs from the vault in a way. You know, they're, they're kind of hidden on the album. But Secret Touch was not a song that was hidden. Secret Touch was very much a song that said, this is what Vapor Trails is. I represent the album, is what Secret Touch says. I believe it was a single. I wasn't... I'm aware of a band called Rush when Vapor Trails came out, but I believe Secret Touch was a single on the album. Not to say it got a ton of radio play, but it's... I was surprised to see that for somebody, that was a song that didn't hit right away, but, you know, that's allowed. Others were like Fountain of Lamneth. I, I, would, I would include that on my list for sure. Probably the entire album would be on my list. Analog Kid, pretty surprising. Double Agent, and Middletown got a couple of hits. Now, Bill Meyer <clears throat> says he still skips Middletown, Superconductor, Wish Them Well, and like I used to, the entire second side of Roll the Bones. Roll the Bones grew on, the second side of Roll the Bones grew on me a lot. Wish Them Well, we can all agree, is a, a weak-ish song on that album comparatively to the rest of the tracks. Superconductor is the goofiest tune ever, but I love it with all my heart. But Middletown is interesting. I, I can understand. Some of you wrote in and said Middletown is a song that you hated at first, but now you love it. And that's cool. That's that's kind of what I expect. And that's on my list as well. Uh, but to still skip Middletown, something's missing there, Bill. <laughs> something you're missing something. I don't know what it is. I haven't talked to you that in depth about it. I think we spoke briefly via email, but uh, that song's got a lot going on and it has a lot to offer. And I'm surprised that you can't find anything in it that you enjoy. Maybe maybe just the overall vibe isn't your favorite. I don't know. But I guess like Hold Your Fire, if I just say I love it, like I have on every episode of Rushcast, Maybe you'll go back and realize there's something in there that you like. Um, Bill also said he agrees with Jason Vaughn from our last episode uh, about Marathon's extension when they play it live, which I, th- I thought was worth mentioning again. The, the fact that after the beautiful solo in Marathon, when it's played live, includes this sort of meditative like four or eight bars of a solo cooldown kind of thing. The solo kind of dies away, and then we get a few measures of meditation before the song kicks back in with the vocals. It's tiny little tweaks like that to songs that have been around forever that kind of make what that band does live way more special. Not to say other bands haven't done it. Here's Alec Pulianis talking about songs that went DJ, from hate to great. It's Alec again, and I just wanted to talk about the songs that I skipped in the beginning but have come to love. Um, the first song would be Mission. I remember when I saw they were playing it on the Snakes and Arrows tour, I was kind of like, what the hell is this? And it took me a few listens to get used to, uh, but then I really came to enjoy it. The next one was Wish Them Well. In a song full, or an album full of great songs, it's probably the weakest of them all um but it's definitely grown on me lately and i greatly enjoy it now and last is spindrift off the snakes and arrows album that song really came alive for me uh in the live setting and uh the way the recording never did the recording kind of felt like it dragged on and was very repetitive but live it had a lot of um rock to it today's digital discussion Songs you beat to death. I'm talking about songs that you listened to a lot. Maybe they were your favorite tracks on the album when the album came out. Maybe these tracks were released before the album. My number one example is Far Cry, which I don't think I've listened to willingly since the full album came out. 
In 2007, before Snake Snarrows was released, they released a single called Far Cry, the first track on the album. I listened to that track at least a million times. Now, that was the first track I ever saw Rush release. You know, I became a fan right before Snakes, and that was the first thing they released. I loved it. I now, some, sometimes I'm in my car and I think, I just want to listen to Snakes and Arrows right now. I'm in the Snakes and Arrows mood. And the, the album starts at Armor and Sword for me. It does not start at Far Cry. Uh, it's, I just, I beat it to death. It's the only way to explain it. What songs did you beat to death? Caravan is another one, and that goes, it's the same reason I, I beat Far Cry to death. One Little Victory, I think the band has beaten that one to death, playing it on every single tour ever since the song was released. A lot of these are the tracks that are first on their albums. Um, I'm not willing to throw Dreamline in there because the album version is so much different than the live versions. But Tess for Echo is another one that I beat to death. So you tell me, which songs can't you listen to anymore? Or at least you might have to take a really long break from before you can really enjoy them again. Tom Sawyer. Spirit of Radio. <laughs> I like having a producer here because he just agrees with everything I said. Or everything I say, no matter what. <laughs> now he's shaking his head. But if I say, th- I'm like, Tom Sawyer, and he's nodding, like, oh, of course. <laughs> No, but really, the radio helped out with that as well. The radio, or I should say classic rock radio in general, wherever you are, beats free will to death. But I will say, when I hear these radio hits on the airwaves, there's something special about it where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and listen to Closer to the Heart and really enjoy it. If I hear Closer to the Heart on my iPod, I skip it. Because I want to hear some other shuffled tune that comes up that I'd much rather listen to. Because I've beaten closer to the heart to death. That's what I'm looking to hear for you from you for next week. And I'll have the results next week, as always, with the digital discussion. Today's New World guest, or this week's New World guest, I could say now, is Jeff Garrett, all the way from a South American country called Colombia. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I'm gl- we were just talking a second ago uh, that you are maybe the furthest guest that we've had on the show uh, from where yeah. I'm at in New York City. Yes, quite possibly, yeah. How, o- how often do you get back to the States? Uh, once or twice, uh, throughout the year, uh, the last time I was there was, uh, actually a few weeks ago for uh, a brief visit, but, uh, yeah, usually once or twice around Christmas. Cool. Uh, Jeff's been somebody who's been really active responding to the prompts I make on the show, email and emails me quite a bit. Uh, was, uh, I believe you had an entry in the set list challenge, right? Yes, I think I came in fourth. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you did pretty good, too. I'm looking yeah. at your name on paper, and I recognize it as one of the names I immediately hated after we tallied up <laughs> the scores <laughs> because you had done so much better than me. Uh, so I yeah. guess I'll ask you the like uh, the, the most generic questions we can ask on this show. What are your favorite couple albums? Okay. My favorite couple albums? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I think of myself kind of as a different Rush fan. I really appreciate each kind of uh, decade or incursion. Um, I, there's, you know, it's hard to pick a few, you know, for anybody, but I would have to say my top albums were uh, Power Windows and uh, Signals and, of course, Moving Pictures. Um, so I, I would put those at the top. Uh, last week, actually a couple of weeks ago, I had, I had asked everybody what songs that went from hate to great for them, meaning songs you skipped forever, mm-hmm. but eventually you realized, oh, this is actually one of my favorite tunes now. 
Um, and I got a, a couple people said Middletown Dreams. So Power Windows is one of your favorites. Yeah. Is every track on that album one of the best for you? Yeah. Uh, to me, that album, that spoke to me uh, right away. So mm-hmm. I, I can't ever say that, you know, I started listening to those songs and, you know, I didn't like them and then they, they changed for me. I Middletown, Middletown Dreams for me is probably one of my favorites. Um, you know, depending on when you ask me, I, I really, the, the whole song, the, the the way it's structured musically, but also the lyrics, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, I love it in the bridge. I mean, every, everything about that song to me is a quintessential rush. Sure. So, really like that album. But you're asking about uh, a song that, I, I, that I used to not like, and now that I do, um, I, I might say something a little controversial here. I'm going to go ahead and put the whole uh, Clockwork Angels album. The whole on the album as a whole. Yeah. Wow. I did not really take to it. It took me a long time, more more time than usual, to warm up to Clockwork Angels, and uh, I can say that I was I was not a big a fan at the beginning. And uh, met with a lot of resistance online, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. So um, now, I've, since then, I've kind of uh, go ahead. Sir. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I do enough now, talking on the show. Of, you can talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of warmed up to it. I mean, it's it's not now. I have to say that everything is always under the umbrella of everything Rush has done. I think is amazing, and I would take any of their songs over almost any band for the last 20 years, yes. especially, you know, almost anything coming out now. So even when I criticize a song, it's still like, you know, it's Rush. So it's still my, you know, absolute favorite band. So, so was Clockwork there a song, on, from, was there a song on Clockwork that you, uh, like right now I, that you still kind of think, Oh, that's kind of a weaker tune for me. Um, maybe headlong flight. And wow. <laughs> I, well, I'm not a big fan of the heavy rush. Like what what came to be known, like kind of in the later '90s, um, with the sound of certain songs, I thought got a little just riff heavy. Like I'm not a big fan of the song "Stick It Out." Virtuality. Uh, I was, I was, <laughs> yeah, I that to me that was okay. I, it had a, a song structure. You had a good chord progressions, um, so I, I could appreciate that. But I was never big on this the. You know, using distortions and to make up, you know, sonically for you know whatever. Because to me, their musicianship, you know, is it should be the the number one thing. So I always cool. kind of I was, you know. Well, if you go with that, that makes sense. Why headlong wouldn't be so strong for someone like you? Exactly. And I imagine yeah, I just my my next question was going to be, what do you think of those first two tracks on Clockwork, the ones that came out earlier? And I imagine you're not. A huge fan of either of those either because it's some of the heaviest stuff they've written right uh was not a fan of it yeah i think when they introduced that on the the time machine tour mm-hmm. um i was yeah i i i think i had to go get a drink during that like <laughs> I, I was i was not a big fan of it yeah the just the heaviness i mean i appreciated the musicianship um but I wasn't quite getting it, and to me, the, the lyrics in those songs weren't, you know, I, I didn't quite get how it fit in yet until I listened to Clockwork Angels as a concept album mm-hmm. and started to see, okay, there's a story, and, and, and so I, I started to get it. But Had you, yeah, had you read the novel? I, yeah. Actually, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, last year in my 10th uh, grade class, I ordered the novel, and we read it in class, so I used it as a... Um, uh, uh, as part of my lesson plan, wow! Uh, because I, I teach I teach English uh, at a private high school here in uh, in Columbia, and uh, my mm-hmm. students are bilingual, and uh, you know they've they've never heard of Rush or anything, but uh, I was able to kind of uh, you know use the book uh, to as part of our uh, what we call reading plan. You know we have to pick a novel each each period, so um, I selected that and. Uh, and and read it and and also taught it so um i got to know the story better and then i think that helped me to appreciate the album eventually too totally yeah i I was i thought i knew the album inside out and the story you know i thought Mm -hmm. i know what the story is about and then read the novel and went oh (laughs) i guess i did um very cool so i i've in a way always wanted to talk to a rush fan like you and that's somebody who 
I don't. I almost said discounts the heavier stuff, but you don't discount the heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. You just prefer the others. Yeah. Right. It's it's kind of hard to explain. It's not that I. Uh, yeah, I'm not not totally against it, but um, I, I appreciate the songwriting of Rush. Like I really like to hear. Um, you know, subtlety, like kind of the, the 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 restraint, but I also like to hear the instruments clearly. So I'm actually kind of you know more of a fan of of albums like you know, uh, you know Signals or uh, Permanent Waves. You know, it, to me there's there's kind of a, a clarity in the instruments, the recording, which is you know the the sound has kind of changed. Uh, you know, nowadays when they put out an album like when Vapor Trails came out, to me that that was also that was heavier. That one took me a little bit of time also. To, to warm up to um, so but uh, like I said you know I, I appreciate almost every album that they've done it's just mm-hmm. that you know generally I, you know the other bands that I listen to um, you know a lot of classic rock Pink Floyd The Who Beatles Led Zeppelin a lot of you know but then uh, some Grateful Dead uh, even some Fish uh, you know I'm kind of I'm, I appreciate musicianship and you know ability uh, I'm a big fan of Yes um, you know, progressive rock, that type of thing. So I was never like, you know, people refer to Rush as being a, uh, a you know, the godfather of hard rock, like, you know, and, and that could be true, but um, I never felt that they were only hard rock. Like they were, you know, just relying on a, a distorted guitar and, and just the, the heaviness of it to, mm-hmm. to uh, you know, for their style. But. Now, it's, it's funny because what you're describing to me in my opinion, you're describing someone who loves Hold Your Fire, or would love Hold Your Fire. Yes, um, I've always. Oh no, I love I love the eighties. I have mm. always considered Hold Your Fire to be kind of the peak of their songwriting capabilities. Definitely, uh, in terms Actually, of the albums we have now, you know, Hold Your Fire yeah. was just the top. That was the best they were at songwriting. As much as people right. don't like that album. Um, and I've also, I'm also very much into the songwriting, the, the the finer textures of the song, rather than here's this heavy riff we wrote. While heavy riffs are the best in some mm-hmm. cases, the songwriting is what takes a lot more talent. And mm-hmm. maybe what people, what you could argue is harder to do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it's interesting because you and I... Uh, I think share an, the share an opinion on a lot of the same type of things. So, yeah, well, everything you just said is I I would say you know ditto because you know hold your fire. Um, yeah, I, actually, I was thinking of uh, a show of hands. You know, yeah. I got, I remember having that on on uh, VHS. Uh, you know, when I was first starting to get into Rush, and you know, I'm watching you know show of hands on VHS, and and most of the songs are from Hold Your Fire. You know, the '80s, that type of stuff. And uh, yeah, to me, those that was incredible songwriting and and keyboard playing, getting incorporating all the instruments. You know, the the bass was you know really active. Uh, the solos that Alex put together during that time period yes. were you know, incredibly textured and 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 amazing. So yeah, to me that that was a really good time period where you know you could say the the majority of the fan base kind of started to drop off in the eighties. I think there's a, a type of fan out there, kind of my uncle's generation. They uh, they grew up in the you know the '70s. They were Rush fans early on. They liked the you know the prog you know prog rock kind of Led Zeppelin style that they had, and then they kind of dropped off around Signals. I can't tell you you know how many fans I've you know talked to when I go to shows. They're like, yeah, I was I used to Signals, and then I stopped watching them or whatever, and kind of moved on, and then they kind of stayed away and the, the only real rush fans stayed through the eighties, like people who were kind of really music nerds and kind of, you know, really <laughs> big, you know, fans of, of the band. So, um, you know, where I came into the band was in the mid and, uh, so I don't know if we can, we can talk about that if you want to. Now, okay. So here's, <laughs> I was going to ask you that next, but your, our connection cut out just a little bit enough that we couldn't hear your answer. <laughs> so don't say oh, yeah. it again. And okay. I'm going to guess, uh, you, you like moving pictures, signals and power windows. That's 81, 82 and 85. I believe I'm going to guess yeah, you entered yeah. the rush scene around 
82. Uh, sorry, actually, it was uh, uh, a, a bit later than that, actually. Um, mid-90s. Wow. So um, I, was, I was entering high school in, uh, let's see, 94, and uh, started to become a fan around, yeah, 94, 95. My, my first Rush show was uh, October 22nd, 1996, in Dayton at the Nutter Center. So wow. that's, uh, I, I, I became a fan at, at the Test for Echo uh, tour. <laughs> I, I say wow and, uh, because it's, it's not often people like come on the show and talk about the Test for Echo tour. We've had a, the last couple episodes, right. we've had people on and have been able to talk about it, but that's kind of a dark period and I don't mean right, that dark because album. of because of the uh, the break, but yeah, like you said, it's the most neglected album. We never get to talk about Test for Echo or its tour. Right. It, it, well, it has a special place for me just because of that. It was my it was my first tour. It was the album that had just come out. So yeah, that was you know I've always looked at that album differently than than most people, and I know it gets a lot of criticism and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I think a lot of that unfounded. Really, I, I I like a lot of those songs, and I mean the tour itself. I mean that was that was an incredible tour. It, what, um, what's funny? I wish. Let me think. In '96, I was almost five years old, so I wasn't going to be going to any Rush shows. But um, there's a really good video online, and a couple of fans of the show have sent it to me when I said how neglected that tour was. Um, it's the first show of that tour, and it's where I lived my whole life in Albany, New York, at the Knickerbocker Arena. Uh, they opened the tour there, and I thought, man, I've always wanted to see the opener of a tour, and it wouldn't have been any easier than in 96 when they were still playing in that arena in Albany, New York. Um, right. But it was a good tour for you? Oh, I mean, it was an amazing. The set list is, to me, one of the most balanced, and huh. uh, it was really, really special. Did, I mean, you have didn't they open with Dreamline or something? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Dreamline opened it. To me, that's one of the that's probably their best opener. You think so? But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, it, it was it was great. The whole they had the uh, you know the. Uh, the 2001 intro into you know just it, it kicks in and it's, it's the intro, and, you know they changed the set list you know throughout the a little bit, but um, they you know they didn't play a lot from Test for Echo. They played I think you know maybe was it five or six songs if that yeah from the album if yeah if that because I know they dropped a couple, but um, they played 2112 in its entirety yes. Uh, to finish the first set, <laughs> so well, uh, that was a special experience. I mean, that was really amazing. When uh, when Chad, my buddy Chad, who's been on the show, when he and I were driving to New York City a couple months ago to see the R Forty show, I said mm-hmm. to him, he had seen the uh, show in Boston already, and I turned to him and I'm guessing, you know, I'm t- I'm thinking out loud. I didn't want an answer from him if I was right or wrong, but I said, can you imagine if they if you were at the show and they played 2112 in its entirety, I would be pissed is what I said to him. And he kind of just smirked at me. Um, I, and I would be pissed because like I, the, the overture is enough. You get the idea and it's so cool to hear live, but that is such a huge chunk of time oh, yeah. to take up that they could be playing other material. But I imagine I'm feeling that way because I have different stages and I've listened to 2112 in its entirety live a lot right. <laughs> you know maybe i'm kind of desensitized right. to that experience but uh one at the r40 show when they played 2112 and a lot of it you know the, the that was can we say it was the closest they've done to playing the whole thing in a while uh yeah it seems like it yeah. it was a lot of 2112 uh, but, but i enjoyed it all you know the, the fact that they played presentation this time around yep. uh, i mean that that was that was huge um, it was it was great, but yeah, the the different stages CD that was that was I, I listened to that all the time. That was great. Actually, I was always waiting for them to release a DVD of the Test for Echo tour. Yeah. I've been I've been for years, and finally, when I got uh, R forty, the you know the DVD box, they had you know certain songs they've released now from mm-hmm. 
uh, I forget where the show was, but they, uh, you know, finally we got some footage of that tour. And I, I maybe in the whole that was I think that was a great show. Let's, I mean, Getty's voice was still amazing. You know, it was still and um, musician Neil through his you know his, his you know drumming with Freddie Krueger. So he was you know using a style drum a little different. Uh, they were they had no. This was the first tour no opener, so you know it was the longer show. So they released a DVD of that future. Yeah, you're cutting out a little tiny bit, but we're still able to pick okay. up a little bit of it. Um, let's talk about uh, the deeper, darker alleyways of Tess for Echo uh, that also okay. doesn't get much light, and that's Totem, the color of right, half the world. Right. Um, Totem and the color of right especially were two songs that I skipped for a while, but now I've come, you know, mm. once you've heard Driven 3,000 times, you don't want to listen yeah. to Driven, and you don't enjoy it as much. You start looking at the other stuff, and the color of right has is one of the best examples of what Alex's guitars were. I don't know how to say mm-hmm. it. What his guitars were doing on that album, it's very representative on the color of right. A lot of layering, but the, he had a very unique sound. And Totem has one of the best bridges for a song in terms of songwriting. Do you like? Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy those two, or are they kind of lower on the list? No, you you and I like it's it's funny because like you're you're almost reading my mind like that's <laughs> exactly how I feel. Yeah, Color of Right, um, you know, great songwriting, and the fact that you mentioned yeah Alex's guitars, yeah, not a not a lot of people pick up on that, but yeah, I love the songwriting on that one. Um, Totem for me is one I was hoping they might pull out as you know as one of besides one of the obscure ones that, uh, yeah. you know, before I knew what, what they were going to do. So I was really, yeah, I, I, I like that song a lot. The verses to me are really, really good. And um, so, I'm always yeah, amazed to hear, hear it, so. I've seen Totem on people's list of their three least favorite songs. And that's incredible to me. You know, like people will come yeah, out I, and be like, Tyshawn, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you bet your life. Yeah. And totem. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, for and all three by, of those. By the way, Ty. Yeah. By the way, Ty Sean is another one. I think you and I share. Uh, uh, you know, our we, we both like Ty Sean. Yeah. And that gets a lot of a lot of hate uh, online. So totally. Um, no, I I I really I, I love it when they're being quirky and they're being different. Like I've always had kind of different tastes in music. I mean, uh, you know, before I. Uh, started listening to Rush. I don't know. I had a, a you know mix of cassettes that were you know very eclectic, and I don't know. There was something about Rush that just spoke to me as you know these guys are different. Like, and this stuff is is strange and quirky, and they're they're picking you know topics that are you know not what you would expect. And so I don't know why people don't necessarily like that song very much. It, it doesn't. Uh, it's the same with most of the songs on that album. It seems like people don't quite. Uh, they just don't get it with uh, right. And I, yeah. I often say to people, you know, if I wear a Rush shirt and someone says, "Oh, you like Rush, huh?" I, I sometimes have to. I have, first of all, I have to clarify: yes, Rush is a thing past 1981, right? <laughs> like, oh, you like Tom Sawyer, right? Yeah, but there's a very large chunk of material after that, and I enjoy that stuff more. Yeah. You know, I like the stuff they've right. done in the last 20 years a lot, and those people don't even mm-hmm. know that that exists. Um, yeah, but well, we go ahead. We we're at a point. You know, we we have so much material to to look through now, and like I, I mean, I appreciate songs from the very first album. Yeah, I mean, I love you know the the deep tracks on there. Here again, before and after. Um, you know, I could, I, I love those songs, and uh, you know, each album has some of that, and each you know decade or however you want to you know group the albums has you know something different and kind of you know they've evolved with each album. And where else can you find that? There's just no other band that does that. Totally. And, and so, I mean, I just I can appreciate each you know evolution and that they've gone through, and I can't sit here and say, oh, well, I don't like that whole thing or i don't like that decade or you know yep 
just because there's some synthesizers or something, you know, to me it's, uh, <laughs> Uh, just because there's some I'm, but I'm I'm a pretty intense Rush fan. I I would say, I don't know you've had a uh, maybe a guest on before that mentioned he was a casual fan but uh to, I, to call me a fan I think would be somewhat of an understatement. Right. And and um, you know, I don't know about you but there was a point in my life where I thought I would never ever meet anybody that was as stupidly involved with the band's music as I was. I thought there would never yeah. I would never have a conversation about faithless or you know about right. any about hold your fire I, I never thought i'd meet a person who knew what hold your fire was in 2007 when i got to my first show and i saw people wearing hold your fire tour shirts it was a very different thing um i still thought i would never have some of those deeper discussions and now i talk to somebody else like me every week and that's my favorite thing mm-hmm. if, if nothing else Rushcast has given life to songs like totem <laughs> You know, like right. <laughs> maybe there was a half dozen conversations in the history of the world about that song, but um, yeah, and maybe maybe more so when the album re- was released, maybe it got more attention. But it's fun to do this kind of thing. I'm trying to think if there's any other songs. Are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry, I yeah, I got dropped off for a second. Sorry, we're using I, Skype today. Yeah. Something a little different, and yeah. uh, kind of as a uh, a test drive to see if this will work any better. So far, it, it, I mean, you are on the other side of the planet, so I guess we'll cut Skype some slack. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Actually, I was just saying how much uh, I appreciate the, uh, the the Rush cast. Uh, like you were saying, um, you know, where else can we can we talk about Rush? That's one of the reasons I you know appreciate what you're doing so much, and uh, just you know really excited to be on. So I appreciate you being so here, dude. And yeah. I think I uh, I thank you for the nice words. Um, you know, one of the other, which song did you say the beginning? Oh, uh, in terms of Taishan, uh, yeah. I think I, a long, one of the first episodes I talked about why my theory about why people hate that. And I think if, if you get past the first couple seconds of the tune, it's a much better tune. There, there are a few songs for me where the intro really puts a bad taste in your mouth. Until you know the yeah. song, and then you don't care what the intro is. I think Taishan's right. a really good example. Another one for me was The Big Wheel. I could not listen to that mm. song because the intro was too cheesy for me. When I got past the intro, mm. there's a there's a gem hidden in there. Do you have any yeah, other songs I, where the intro just kind of doesn't represent the song as a whole? Yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, uh, from Snakes and Arrows, uh, I would say maybe The Larger Bull. The yeah. um, the kind of the the bluesy kind of lazy intro to mm-hmm. that song always kind of put me off. And and Did, that song that builds way? really really well. At the end of that, right. like, that, I love song, that song, it's moving pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, love the song. Strong, you know, strong chorus, strong lyrics. I mean, great song. I just I never quite got the uh, the intro to that. I didn't see how that really. I'll know. stick with snakes and arrows and throw out the way the wind blows. Mm-hmm. Um, if nothing mm-hmm. else, I think it's too long, the drum intro. Or maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Is oh, I might have just confused him. The, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, it's like the uh, like a Alex is kind of just soloing. Doing like a Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what I was I, Yeah, I think we're both talking about the same song here. Well, then in that case, yeah. I just agree with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But there's but yeah, a, there's yeah, a the few way. tunes where like I would I wouldn't show those to somebody who wants to mm-hmm. hear what the newer Rush sounds like, you know. Mm-hmm. If someone's like, "What's new Rush sound like?" I'll be like, "Well, here's a song called Far Cry." Well, maybe not for you. You don't like mm-hmm. the riff stuff as much. How do you feel about Far Cry? Uh, yeah, like you say, you you yeah, you kind of got me nailed. I wasn't a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of like to me parts of it. It did sound like hemispheres, like so they were I. I appreciated that, and uh, I thought the, re- the the song and and that album sounded better than Vapor Trails did. So I was I was a lot happier with the album. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Far Cry. I, I I didn't really get that one too much. So so all right, this will be fun. I want to throw some songs at you that I don't normally get to talk about with anybody, and, and just and okay. see if any of them tell me if any of them really hit with you or resonate. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, we have the same experience of I never get to talk about this song. Uh, Sweet mm-hmm. Miracle, uh, Out of the Cradle, mm-hmm. uh, Open Secrets, Second mm-hmm. Nature. Oh, love it. Uh, love it. There's one on Roll the Bones. Face Up, no one ever talks about. Right. Well, you, yeah, you just mentioned a few there. Actually, it's funny you mentioned uh, uh, Out of the Cradle. I was just uh, I was just listening to Out of the Cradle today um, because I was I've been researching I'm I'm trying to put together a um, a list of the literary references and I'm trying to annotate the uh, the lyrics because there are so many uh, references to literature and writing and Out of the Cradle is one of those it's a poem by Walt Whitman yep um, so. Uh, yeah, that's that's a song that uh, I actually do like that song a lot. Now, there, and, the uh, only reason I know that Jeff is because mm-hmm. uh, I think PowerWindows.net has a, a link or a, like a section of their website called Transcripts, mm-hmm. maybe, and it's all about uh, or no, not transcripts. It's something else, references or something, um, and it's mm-hmm. all things like that. Have you seen that page? Um, I, I think I have in the past, not recently. But I, I'm, I'm aware of. I think I've, I've looked at it before, um, because I've, I've, you know, many times I've googled, you know, the lyrics and then try to, you know, like rush slash literature or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I think that did come up. But there are so many, and I think people don't realize, because you know Neil is so well read, and you know, and so literate that you know in his lyrics you can see within you know within songs sometimes there are a few uh, references to literature. And that's one of the, another thing that you know just got me into Rush, and actually, you know, actually got me into literature. And and I went on to study, uh, you know, uh, creative writing, and I uh, earned a master's degree. And actually, I'm teaching now. I think I owe a lot of that to Rush, and the fact that they did get me turned on to literature and a lot of things when I was younger. Um, I don't I don't know if you remember the DVD with uh, uh, Sebastian Bach. When he uh, at beyond the lighted stage, when oh, he's talking yeah. about, <laughs> I, I loved that guy. <laughs> that is, that was amazing. I was I was like, that's, that's exactly what happened to me. He's like, you know, I I I can't believe I'm I'm a teenager who wants to read Ayn Rand because of <laughs> of Rush, you know. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what happened to me. I went out and I I, I bought I bought Anthem at at Barnes and Noble, and you know. Uh, you know, started re- reading a novel, you know, whereas in, you know, in high school, I didn't, I don't think I read a book the whole time I was there, you know, right. but, you know, because of Rush, like I, you know, I sought out those things. So, yeah, that was. Have you read Neil's stuff? Yes. Uh, I love Ghost Rider. Uh, that was a really, really good book to me. Um, uh, and especially, you know, because during that period, you know, I thought Rush was, was finished. Yeah. Uh, you know, in about 1997, you know, whenever they, they made the announcement uh, on the National Midnight Star, which was uh, like the original website uh, for Rush, you know, when the when the internet was young, and they announced there, you know, there was a tragedy, tragedy, you know, and and what had happened, and basically, you know, I thought they were they were finished. I thought there would be no more Rush, and so. You know the fact that you know they he he put the book out and you know he got to read what you know kind of what he went through and then the whole journey on the motorcycle and that was a that was a really really good book yeah he's a very good writer I mean obviously for the lyrics but you know he's you know very very thoughtful and very you know I love that book actually I I want to start reading his stuff but I want I would to, recommend Ghost Rider. I was going to say I imagine Ghost Rider is where you, Rider is where you start. Yeah. I mean emotionally that's I mean there's there's so much at stake mm-hmm. that it's you know you it's it's hard to put down at times like you're you're really right there with him inside his head as he's as he's going through things you know the good and the bad. So to me it's you know it's a it's a good it's a good book to start with, yeah. Is Far and Away is that the name of the other one? Yes, I mean he's got a few. Uh, I, but... I, I, mm, actually, I haven't. I haven't gotten into that one yet. No, I. I, I have not read. I need. To, I need to pick that up actually. Uh, but um, the the other one, traveling music, I think, uh, yes. is very good. I really like hearing his influences. You know, that, hearing that's about the his one influences. I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I, I, I read that, that he like goes through all the the other bands he listens to and things. And I saw mm-hmm. Linkin Park was on that list. <laughs> 
and was very uh, intrigued. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you can probably guess how I feel about Lincoln Park, but uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of sound that turned me off. Like, I, it was it was bands like that that started coming out. I don't know in the you know two thousands, and uh, it, it seemed like rock was in general has gone that way. You know, it was. It was very heavy and, you know, just kind of too much distortion in general and kind yeah. of just muddied. And I, I thought some of that made its way into, you know, you know, Russia's style a little bit. So I was always turned off by those songs. So Well, let's let's talk. You've mentioned distortion several times. Let's talk about guitar tone. Mm. Uh, do yeah. you how do you feel about the guitar tone for Presto and Roll of Bones? Because that was arguably um, the the least distortion yeah. heavy sound right right but i think that the problem there is more recording i i don't know like there's there was something about i don't know what happened to that album yeah presto yeah but um it really it's it's a shame because the songs are are very good there's Mm -hmm. there's several that i really like um and you know it sounds so thin and so trebly and and that's really what hurts that album. I think that's why a lot of people, you know, dismiss that album just because of, you know, the overall sound is so, so high. There's like, there's no meat on the bones. It's very, you know, it sounds very thin. And uh, I think Roll the Bones actually, you know, improved. It's a little better than Presto. Presto's probably a little worse. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not that I, I don't know, to me, that's why couldn't they have, uh, had a sound similar to Hold Your Fire or, you know, Power Windows. To me, that's that was kind of in the right zone with it, and then it, it went way, you know, way too thin, uh, yeah. I guess. And then, At least they corrected I'm not it, sure. you know, like... Yeah. It, it definitely went the other direction, like, into an extreme, in your case. Uh, yeah. But anyway, this is uh, this was great, Jeff. Thank you for being here, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Uh, I keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I love it. I'm glad you made the uh, the goal, and I uh, look forward to more episodes in the future. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it, dude. And uh, keep in touch, okay? Okay, will do. All right. See you guys. Brought to you no, by. I say it. Brought to you by Knickerbocker.